Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk Talks. I'm your host, Andrew Kistner, uh, at the Oxford Center Talks. And today I have an awesome guest. Uh, her name is Sarah Livesey, and she is a speech language pathologist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll kind of go in a little bit later after you find out you know, who she is, what she does, kind of why I wanted to have her on the, uh, on the podcast uh, and that, that I found incredibly interesting, just blew my mind of what I didn't know about speech. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later. So welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to have you here. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, you're obviously a speech language pathologist at the Oxford Center mm -hmm. uh, in Brighton. And talk to me a little bit, what made you go into speech language pathology? So when I was little, my grandmother, or my dad's side, had a severe stroke. Oh, okay. Um, and it caused her to not be able to communicate with us. Yeah. Um, so she couldn't talk to us. She could understand um, who we were. When we would talk to her, she could say yes, no, but she couldn't have a conversation with us. Um, and so growing up, I didn't really, you know, understand why she couldn't talk to us. But right. then, you know, the more that I learned, the more I realized that maybe if she had done her therapy, right. then things would have been different. Um, and then the other part of it is that my aunt is a speech language pathologist. Okay. So that also influenced me heavily to go into yeah. speech. Where did you, um, how does speech work? Because I, I know that every therapist has a completely different program on how they operate to get from point A, I go to college first day to I am credentialed to my profession. How does speech work? So um, you get your undergrad degree. So I have a bachelor's from Grand Valley. In what? Um, I have a bachelor's in allied health science with an emphasis in speech language pathology. Now, do you have to go into something speech related or could you have a bachelor's in business and then join so the graduate program? You don't have to go into something speech related. It's more helpful to go into something speech Makes related. Um, a lot of undergrad programs are or a lot of undergrad schools are starting to have undergrad speech programs. Got it. Um, so for example, Grand Valley had an undergrad speech program. So I was lucky enough to be a part of that program when I was an undergrad. Yeah. Um, whereas I had some friends in grad school who had to take more classes um, that would have been an undergrad for me because they didn't have that undergrad experience. Just like most other programs, essentially. You know, if yep. you're going to go into business and go into graduate school, you have to have the, some of the prerequisite classes yep. from, you know, business whatever. Yep. Okay, I get that. So you go, um, do your undergrad in speech-related field. Um, I'll never remember what you said. Uh, and then <laughs> you go into your graduate program. Yep. So. Which is how long? Um, I was in grad school for two years. I believe it was like six or seven semesters. Um, and I have a master's in communication science disorders, which essentially is speech language pathology. Okay. Um, and then after you get your master's, you go into what is called your fellowship year. Okay. So for a year, I was a clinical fellow rather than what I am now. Um, you still get to work, you still get paid, it's just that you have to have a supervisor who works for the company that you're working for. That's probably credentialed and... Mm -hmm. Yep, so they oversee, kind of help you out, oversee what you're doing, look over your documentation. Um, they're there to make sure that what you learned in school is kind of integrating into your job. 
Um, yeah. So, and then after, I think you have to have a certain number of hours, nine months to a year. This is typically the time frame for our fellowship year. That's basically the time it takes you to get all the hours yep. that are required. Yep. And so then once you're done with your fellowship year, you apply for your C's, which is your Certificate of Clinical Competency. I've always wondered what the C's meant because <laughs> yep. I hear that a lot. Oh, they yep. don't have their C's yet. Or yeah, they just got their C's. I'm like, what are the C's? Yeah. What? So after you, after your fellowship year, you apply for your C's, you okay. get your full licensure, and then you're a credentialed SLP. That's so cool. Yep. Awesome. We've got a lot of speech pathologists here. Speech, obviously, in our um, field is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say if most, if not all of our kids get speech, mm -hmm. um, and I'll get into why I think why, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but how do you like working at the Ashford Center? I absolutely love it. I love that. Um, I always tell Alicia, my boss, <laughs> that like it's the best thing that's ever happened to me um, awesome. as far as like working. I mean, it's only my second job, right? but my first one showed me enough of what I don't want that right. this is like game changer, love it here, awesome. love the environment, love the kids, love the adults that I work with. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really just been like the best thing for me. Yeah. Oh, well, you have a very good boss. Alicia is probably one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, she just is awesome. Yes. Uh, she never is... stops. She's always doing something new, learning something new, and it, it definitely shows. Yeah. It? She definitely pushes me to be a better speech yep. pathologist. And at my last job, there was nobody doing that. Nobody right. as innovative as her and wanted me to get better. But yeah. she wants us to get better. Right. I love it. So talk to me about some of the clients that you see. Um, I, obviously, you see a lot of the kiddos here, but mm -hmm. I know that you have uh, a lot of clients that come from the outside, kids, adults, and whatnot. And what kind of clients do you see and what do you deal with? Um, so on the kids' side, I see a lot of kids that have the autism diagnosis, um, language delays, speech delays, all that kind of stuff. And then from the outside world, um, it's still kind of the same thing where the kids are coming in with the same sort of speech mm -hmm. delay, language delay, but then there's the adults who are coming in. And they usually have like a neurological deficit from like a traumatic brain injury, stroke, um, Parkinson's mm -hmm. is another one that I've had. Um, right now, I'll I have somebody that we don't even know why it's happening. Right. So it's um, mostly neuro that's coming in for speech. Um, but yeah, um, some of the adults right now that I'm working with are stroke and TBI for the most part. Yeah. So uh, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is was kind of an aha moment. Uh, Gracie uh, has been in speech since, I don't know, two or three years old. Um, I, even, even before we had an autism diagnosis, our original diagnosis being cerebral palsy, you know, she was three or whatever and not talking um, and not verbally communicating much. And so we were in speech. We went to a program when we were living in Toledo. Um, and so I've been in speech since she was, I don't know, two or three. I don't mm -hmm. Emily would know the date. Um, she's much smarter than me. So, <laughs> um, and I, I, I've been through speech sessions. We used to have to go with her. We were in the room with her. We were helping her through speech. And it is not, I learned something the other day when we were for, filming some B-roll mm -hmm. uh, with you and just Nurse Elizabeth, you know, she would be, you know, your, your patient then. And you were going over an exercise, which I want you to tell us about. And when I watched that, you were not asking her to say any words. And, I'm, and I remember looking at you going, what, <laughs> if, we're, if this is speech, why aren't you asking her to say words? 
And that's when you blew my mind. You said, we're not, we're not working on, we're working on the brain. Yep. And that's when it was kind of a revelation to me that speech, you have to go to the root and the root is the brain. Um, there's a reason that we're not able to talk for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. We have to find that and we have to fix that. Talk to me about that a little bit. So speech in general, I think, has common misconceptions of what it is. Yeah. When I was in grad school, uh, I would tell people that I was going to school to become an SLP and they would be like, oh, so you're going to help kids say R's and, right. you know, whatever. And I, my old job, I was only with adults and I would walk into their room and they would say, well, my speech is fine. I don't know why I need you. <laughs> so it's a common misconception that we only treat speech and language. But we treat speech, language, social communication, cognitive communication, and swallowing. And under those five terms, there's a bunch of smaller umbrella terms. Right. Um, and particularly what I was doing with Elizabeth was a cognitive communication drill. Um, so that was targeting sequencing, so putting steps in order, which we use every day. How right. do you put on your clothes? How do you run the dishwasher? How do you do your laundry? That is all stuff that we've learned how to sequence. Um, and it also targets thought processing, thought organization, um, reasoning skills you know she was going through the pictures and she had to decide based off her reasoning which one was going to go first second third or fourth um a little bit of problem solving in there because yeah. you know i was giving her prompts and so she had to think of like okay well if this one's here then where should this one go so it's that problem solving um so that's a little bit of like an overview of what cognition can look like right. um, it's a lot of targeting those thought processes that thought organization and a lot of people don't know that we treat that um, a lot of people just think that we're here to fix ours right so yeah and it's I have the a same stutter thing or whatever the case may be yeah. yeah it's the same thing with like Gracie for example yeah a lot of people don't understand AEC which right. is like the alternative and augmentative communication and a lot of people have no idea that those devices are used for, you know, that's their way of using their voice. Right. Um, and it's a lot of misconception in the speech language pathology world. Right. No, that so. makes perfect sense. So you're treating essentially the brain. So you have this, mm -hmm. this sequencing test, which we do, and I guess take for granted. You know, I have no problem putting on my clothes. I have no problem. Right. Um, you know, doing all the sequences that you do that you don't even think about. You just, that's a sequence in your mind, the logical path and whatnot. But if you have a traumatic brain injury, that's different. Yep. If you have a traumatic brain injury, stroke, um, Parkinson's can affect cognition, all of those neurological disorders can change the way that we think because there are pathways in our brain right. that go through all of our cognitive processes and are telling us what we should do. So as soon as something happens to one of those pathways and it breaks it, our brain's like, I don't know what to do anymore. Right. I used to know how to do this, but I don't know what to do anymore. And so the goal of speech is to rehab those pathways so that your brain is getting that message out to your body to tell you, okay, I put on my pants, I need to put on my shirt, button it, or what do I need to do laundry? I need right. soap, I need you know, a laundry basket, dirty clothes, what do I do first? Right. Put the soap in, put the clothes in, turn on the washer, turn it, you know, right. to choose the a setting, cycle. Yeah. Just even reading a recipe to cook, it mm -hmm. involves all of those processes. And that's all under speech. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the goal of that sequencing drill or whatever you called it. 
where, where do we go from there? So somebody, uh, you give them the cards, and I know that you have a ton of cards, so mm -hmm. you can have a massive sequence of, of events. Um, they work up to that point to where they finished. What is that, where's that, where's the goal? So the goal for that would be to increase their sequencing abilities. So that's, you know, very right in front of them. So the goal is to have functional carryover. So Got the it. next thing would to take it into an everyday life activity where they are, you know, kind of using the strategies that they learned to help them to get from point A to point B with the cards. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, asking for help or if it's like memory using an external or internal strategy and using what they've learned to compensate for what's been lost, put it into an everyday activity and help them regain their independence. That makes perfect sense. So what are, you've helped obviously with traumatic brain injuries and strokes. What are some of the things that, um, what are some of the other things that you can do besides this side of thing? Is I'm guessing that's very patient specific. Mm-hmm. Um, like as far as like stroke and traumatic brain injury or just like what overall? are some yeah what are some of the we have the the one you showed me with the cards cards what are some of the other ones that you have that you'd bring somebody through and why <clears throat> would you bring them through it so another big thing um, is problem solving and like safety questions oh interesting so like I have a list of these questions um, that are that it's like what do you do if somebody robs your house what do you do if you take the wrong amount of medication. Yeah. Um, what do you do if, you know, you have an earache, nose running, you know, that right. kind of stuff. Right. It's all these questions like, why do we wear seatbelts? All these questions that are safety awareness and I'll like go through with them, these safety awareness questions and based off, you know, how many they're answering, answering correct or not answering correct is like based off what they're aware of. Right. Um, and it's almost mind-boggling sometimes because like if I were to ask you Andrew why do we wear seatbelts mm -hmm. you're gonna be able to give me a straight answer you don't have any neurological right. deficit right if I ask somebody who has like a moderate to severe um, brain injury or has had like a severe stroke they might not be able to tell me why they wear seatbelts huh. and um, another example is recently I had a patient who I've been working a lot with his um, cognition abilities. And the first time that I evaluate him, I have him draw a clock. I'm gonna guess you know how to draw a clock. I would, I would hope, I would suppose. He drew a pie. Like he had no numbers on it, or he had them on the outside of the circle. He had lines everywhere pointing to each of the numbers. Um, not what a clock looks like. Huh. Two months later, he can draw a clock and put the hands exactly where I put, where I ask him to put the time. And that that's just from working on the sequencing, the thought organization, all that stuff. That's just from working on his cognition over and over and over. Right. That's not you with a flashcard with words on it. Say this word, say this word, nope. say this word, um, which is what I think most people think speech is, you yep. know, especially if you're, you know, um, have a speech impediment or whatnot. We're saying words with R's or U's or whatever they would need and we're working on you know the form of your tongue and how all that works but that's just that's just one small the little part of bit it. of speech there yeah because I mean even like we go into swallowing disorders we hmm. treat swallowing as soon as food hits your mouth and is in your mouth and it goes it's like 
to where your esophagus meets your GI tract. Uh -huh. That's what we treat. We treat from here to like here. Got it. So are you saying that because I choke on water half the time when I when I <laughs> when I drink, I have a problem? Is that what you're telling me? No, because aspiration okay, is normal. <laughs> there is a normal amount of aspiration, but it's like, again, back to those, you know, stroke. Absolutely. Tyrannic brain injuries. Well, they've lost that connection mm -hmm. sometimes. That Even makes... some of the kiddos, they have a harder time yeah. just because of what's all going on for them. That's awesome. So, yeah, I think um, this really blew my mind, and I think it will... Others will find themselves in the same, the same position to where they have a view of what they think speech is and you didn't even, you weren't even talking with that client. No. Um, but you'll, so what's, that brings up another question. So what's, you, you help him cognitively, but essentially the root cause wasn't him talking. No. Interesting. <clears throat> so the whole goal of speech therapy, how would people even know that they needed to see a speech therapist for that? Um, well, luckily, we, I think that, you know, we're in the rehab field, we're in the medical field, yeah. so we get referred to a lot by other um, medical professionals. So, right. you know, at the Oxford Center, when they come for their discovery session, they might not know that they're looking for speech services, right. but like your wife, Emily, yeah. will be like, okay, well, maybe let's try speech, or, you know, Alicia has seen a couple patients yeah. and thought, all right, this person might need speech. Um, Nick is like, this person might need speech. <laughs> Doctors. Um, so it's it's usually based off like another medical referral or yeah. if we were to look at a chart and we saw something, yeah. then we could, you know, ask for those um, referrals. Referrals. Yeah. yeah. That makes perfect sense. Ask for the referrals. Because like at my last job, you know, we would get admissions into the building. Right. And I would look through their diagnoses. I would look through what was happening when they were in the hospital. And if I saw something that was speech-related, then I automatically would ask for a referral. Yeah, and so that you can help them, uh, even though that person may not think oh, yeah. that they need speech. Yep. Huh, I love this. This is so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, this was kind of eye-opening for me, um, especially being in advertising you know, I'm marketing, so mm -hmm. I'm supposed to know this stuff. Um, and I thought I did, you know, I was a, a father that went to speech, little as speech lessons with my child, yeah. um, but only knew just the tip of the iceberg. So, well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. You're welcome. I was, like I said, I was sitting there going, wow, this is crazy. I need to sit down and, and try to get others eyes open. So they understand really how much speech therapy encompasses. Yep. Cause most people, I don't, they don't have a clue. They have, I think a lot of people don't <laughs> like know. Me. I think there's just lots of misconceptions. And even what we talked about today was just a very broad overview. Right. There's just, there's so much. Speech is such a big, big field. Yeah, it is. Uh, way bigger than what I thought. Mm -hmm. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in. Yeah. I, I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you everyone uh, for watching this episode of Talk Talks. Uh, please like, share, comment. Um, it goes on all of the normal platforms, and uh, we've missed a couple of weeks because of vacations and holidays and whatnot. We we'll might miss a couple others depending on where Christmas falls. I don't even know where Chris, what dates it's on Christmas Monday. are. Monday. All right, we'll we'll see what happens. So, bear with us. Um, but uh, please share our channel, and we'll see you guys next week.